I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to a Megasode of Cinematic Universe, the podcast that's all about comic book movies, which you can find at cinematicuniverse.com. I'm your host, Joe Cunningham, and I'll be bringing you a truncated version of the show to bridge the gap between our Spider-Man Homecoming and the Amazing Spider-Man 2 episodes. I'll be giving you my reactions to the comics that Seven James recommended over the course of the last two podcasts, Um, so lots of dread and Spider-Man goodness in there. Um, But before any of that, let's take a look at some of the comic book movie news that has broken over the past, I mean, probably month now. Lots to get to. So before we start, um, I will point out none of this is going to be anything that has come out of Comic-Con. I'm kind of recording this as Comic-Con is uh, just getting going, um, so there's going to be lots of stuff to discuss next week. Um, James and I are going to be convening to record a Comic-Con special bonus episode next week. Um, And I think there's going to be lots of stuff to talk about there. Um, But this is all of the stuff that has broken prior to that. And the the majority or the biggest news came out of um, another kind of convention last weekend, the Disney D23 Con. Um, And so we should probably talk about the Infinity War teaser that played at that convention. Um, Now, by the time you're hearing this, maybe Marvel have released this as part of the Comic-Con stuff. Um, But we've got a description um, out of D23. Um, And so I think I'll just run through basically what we've been told happens in that teaser, um, because it sounds pretty fun. Um, So it starts off with Thor meeting the Guardians of the Galaxy in space. He smashes into their windscreen like a bug um, in what sounds like a callback to the first first Thor movie in the hospital. Um, They then kind of see some bad stuff going on in space. Uh, Loki holds up the Tesseract to present it to someone, presumably Thanos. Um, And then there's a shot on Earth with Iron Man standing with the Guardians of the Galaxy and they talk about how um, Thanos is coming to them. So it sounds like the battle is taking place on Earth in this movie rather than uh, in any cosmic realm. Um, Spider-Man is around. He's wearing the fancy gold suit from the end of Spider-Man Homecoming. Um, Bucky and Black Panther are together leading armies into battle. Um, Captain America turns up uh, looking disheveled, longer hair and a beard. Uh, potentially in his guise as Nomad, but it sounds like he is at this point um, not actually Captain America, so maybe another character will have taken up that mantle in the time being. Um, There's a shot of Vision being imprisoned, Um, there is a shot of Thanos grabbing Thor's skull um, and beginning to crush it, there is Black Widow who is now blonde, Um, and Thanos apparently at the end of the teaser pulls down a moon using the Infinity Gauntlet, which is 
and at this stage only partially assembled so it sounds like that at least as the at the start of this film thanos doesn't have all of the infinity gems and maybe um he doesn't assemble them all until part two um so that all sounds fun i think it'll be a lot more fun once we get to watch it but um almost inevitably the idea of this movie when it's just conceptually out there i'm not massively excited about because it just sounds like it's too big and unwieldy and then you hear about the footage and you it starts to crystallize the real thing and i go oh no yeah i'm excited about that i'm excited about iron man fighting alongside of the guardians of the galaxy and all of those characters meeting up in a movie and all i need is one shot of daredevil and i'll be happy i don't think it will happen but i would be very happy um, the other thing that was confirmed at D23 is that Thanos will have um, some minions. Um, his minions are the Black Order. Um, so they'll be the characters of Corvus Glaive, Proxima Midnight, uh, Ebony Maw, and Cull Obsidian, who apparently is a character who's been renamed from Black Dwarf in the comics. So they're his henchmen, potentially his adopted children. Um, and set leaks from the movie had kind of hinted that these characters were in it um, already. So now it's been confirmed. Uh, we think Terry Notary is playing one of those characters. He is um, an actor who did a lot of mocap on stuff like um, the Planet of the Apes, the recent Planet of the Apes trilogy. Um, so yeah, Thanos is going to have some minions and that will probably help in terms of having a more globe-spanning battle against Thanos. Say if one of them turns up in uh, Wakanda, for instance, and there's other ones elsewhere, you can have like multi-pronged uh, adventures with the <laughs> Avengers in the early parts of Infinity War um, but it looks like they are all going to be uh, motion captured so it'll be interesting to find out if there are any any other actors that we know playing the other parts um, so that's all of the Infinity War stuff and yeah fingers crossed at this point Marvel haven't done their panel at Comic Con but fingers crossed that we will be able to watch that footage sooner rather than later um, there's a lot more MCU stuff, though. Um, Ant-Man and the Wasp has cast Randall Park as S.H.I.E.L.D. agent Jimmy Woo. Um, I don't know much about Jimmy Woo. Um, I don't know whether S.H.I.E.L.D. technically still exists in the MCU movies, but they, they're going to have a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent in them. Um, and basically, it's Randall Park, and Randall Park is great, and I'm thrilled that he is going to be part of that movie. Um, Ant-Man and the Wasp has also cast Walton Goggins um, in an unnamed part, but surely he's got to be the villain. And honestly, if Marvel can't make a great villain with Walton Goggins, something has gone badly wrong. So uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp, I am massively psyched for, and with every casting edition, I get more excited for. I'm really excited to see what Peyton Reed particularly does when he's planning this film from start to finish, rather than coming in at the last minute and kind of saving the day. Um, I was talking to James off mic recently, but I, the more I read or hear about what Peyton Reed wanted to do with his Fantastic Four film back in the day, um, I, that just sounded fascinating, and I'm I'm psyched to see what he can come up with, um, and he's certainly nailing the casting part of things. Um, Captain Marvel is rumoured to be featuring Nick Fury, um, whether there's there's some kind of reports out there that he could be a co-lead um it, it could be nothing more than a cameo but i guess with captain marvel being a film that has some kind of military basis in it around carol danvers um nick fury would make sense as a character who would show up around that and um it's been uh, considering how like ubiquitous nick fury was in the mcu for such a long time 
I don't think he's turned up since Age of Ultron, um, and so it would be nice for him to pop up again at some point because it's Samuel L. Jackson and he owns that character. So that's great. Um, on to um, Spider-Man Homecoming. Apparently the Spider-Man Homecoming Blu-ray will feature a lot more of those Captain America PSAs that we saw in the film, which is great news. Um, apparently John Watts, if he exists, apparently John Watts um, had uh, Chris Evans just like standing in front of a camera for like a few hours, the, the, number, the amount of time that he had him and just said, now read this one, now read that one, now read that one. So... Um, there's a lot more of those to look forward to on the Blu-ray. Um, hopefully a one-shot as well. Tom Holland talked about maybe the one-shots coming back in the future, and I would love for those short films to return to the Marvel Blu-rays because um, they were a lovely little addition, and some of them um, are actually good within their own rights. Um, All Hail the King and Agent Carter, particularly. Um, more Blu-ray stuff for Marvel. Uh, the There is going to be an extended music video for that David Hasselhoff song, on the Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 Blu-ray and um, all of the main cast are going to be in there in kind of 1980s glitter garb so you can look forward to that as well. Um, last bit of Marvel news, this is Marvel TV news. Luke Cage Season 2 has cast Mustafa Shakir um, as the character of uh, John McIver. Um, he apparently is a Bushmaster in the comics and Gabriel Dennis is playing a character called Tilda Johnson who is Nightshade. Um, also, Lucy Liu is going to be directing the pilot for that, um, and something that did come out of Comic-Con is that Simone Missick, who was in Luke Cage uh, Season 1, will be joining the cast of Iron Fist Season 2, um, but I imagine we'll be chatting quite a bit about The Defenders and uh, Punisher and a lot of other Marvel TV stuff on our Comic-Con episode. Um, so we'll move over to DC now. DC have scheduled two untitled films for 2020, which brings the total to four films in that year. Um, that could be the Batman movie. I mean, at this point, it could be anything. Um, I think probably not the Batman movie. I think that'll be 2019 because that is a, that's a bat anniversary. And I think that maybe we might, that DC and Warner might try and turn that into the year of the bat. Um, but you know, it wouldn't be beyond the realm of possibility for DC to, um, not get their shit together and fail to deliver that in the year that it is appropriate. So one of those films could be a Batman movie. Um, we should address the Batman stuff before, because it did kind of break before Comic-Con. So Matt Reeves, it was announced last week, was rewriting Ben Affleck's Batman script. So that film has obviously gone from Ben Affleck's star director, producer, writer, to him losing the director, like stepping aside from directing, to then his script being completely rewritten by Matt Reeves, who is now planning out a trilogy. Um, and then came the news um, a couple of, a day before Comic-Con, I think, that um, Warner Brothers were considering potentially moving away from Ben Affleck as Batman, that if they were planning a trilogy, Ben, a ben Affleck's already in his late 40s, and that by the time they get through a full trilogy, you're talking about Ben Affleck being in his mid-50s, and that he would be too old for it, basically. To which I say, why did you cast a old Batman in the first place? Um, so the rumours out there are that this Justice League movie... Uh, could be the last to feature Ben Affleck as Batman. Uh, there are some sites kind of reporting it as that is what's going to happen. Um, so hopefully there will be a little bit of clarity coming to that, but we could have seen the last, or we could be about to see the last of Ben Affleck as Batman, which raises a bunch of questions about what DC are going to do, whether they just recast the part, whether they try and do a Batman Beyond thing with Matt Reeves's uh, trilogy, whether they maybe try and do some fudging in the main timeline of 
the DC movies to kind of create an alternate universe. Maybe we move over to Earth 2 and uh, take nothing but Wonder Woman. Uh, you know, the possibilities are endless, um, but that's certainly very interesting indeed. Um, the Shazam movie is rumoured to start production next year. Um, it won't star The Rock. David F. Sandberg is directing. And um, yeah, that's an interesting one to move forward because for a long time it looked like Black Adam with The Rock would be happening before Shazam. And now it sounds like it's actually going to be the way around that makes a little bit more sense. And I guess if they can make Shazam work and then they can make Black Adam work, then you've got a cool... Uh, you, you can kind of have him them meeting up in in a in a final movie down the line but again with dc it seems like they throw a lot of stuff out there and see whether it works see whether it doesn't um speaking of something that didn't work suicide squad um suicide squad john Collett-Serra has become the front runner to direct the sequel um he's a director that i actually really like and um i think has shown a lot of talent i haven't actually seen the shallows which he directed last year which i know got um a lot of plaudits um but if you look through his filmography um he directed house of wax which is interesting he directed orphan which i think is great non-stop is a very underrated thriller on a plane with liam neeson which knows exactly how silly it is um and so yeah, uh, I I like the guy. There's 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 duds in there. There's unknown. I haven't seen Run All Night either, but um, he's an interesting director, and I think it's certainly uh, more promising for Suicide Squad two with him attached rather than Mel Gibson, who I just think would have been a terrible fit for the the Suicide Squad um, movies. So yeah, I'm not sure Suicide Squad two deserves John Collett's error, but it looks like that film is moving forward. And that he is the name most likely to be directing. Uh, we'll move on from DC now over to Fox. Fox has also announced some more dates. Um, they have named uh, announced some dates for six untitled Marvel films between 2019 and 2021. Uh, one of those appears to be Noah Hawley's Doctor Doom movie, which was uh, uh, news that broke at Comic-Con and we'll be addressing next week. Um, and you'd imagine stuff like X-Force, um, another X-Men sequel... Um, stuff like that would be part of those plans as well um, and hey who knows maybe even gambit um the new mutants movie has replaced rosaria dawson she left the cast um, i didn't even spot this news happen this happened like weeks ago at this point and i missed it until i was going over the the news for the podcast she's been replaced by alice braga who um is an, another fantastic actress who i feel has never really got her break in hollywood never really like got the projects that she deserved so um, I'm I'm made up for her that she's in this movie and still looking forward to New Mutants quite a bit as well. Um, Evan Peters will in fact be appearing in X-Men Dark Phoenix. He was kind of the one name missing from that original casting announcement, but apparently he will be in it. So that's good news for all of you Quicksilver fans. Um, and then Deadpool 2 announced that Julian Dennison was joining the cast. Um, now, if you don't know who Julian Dennison is, he is... Uh, the child star of Taika Waititi's um, Hunt for the Wilder People. He played Ricky Baker um, in just one of the most utterly charming performances you're likely to see. Um, if you haven't seen Hunt for the Wilder People, go watch it. If you're in the UK, it's on Netflix. Um, or at least it was. I watched it on Netflix. And it's it's so good. And it's, you know, it's good superhero revision because you'll be getting to see the director of Thor Ragnarok's last movie and you'll be able to see one of the stars of Deadpool 2 um, so that's that's definitely something to look forward to there 
And just a couple of final things now um, away from the uh, Marvel DC Fox universes. Um, the Incredibles 2. Um, that was uh, some footage from that was shown at D23. And apparently it's going to start one minute after the first film. Um, so like right after they meet the Underminer at the end of that movie, you'll get a big action sequence with the Underminer to start. And then it will involve the family discovering baby Jack-Jack has superpowers. And I think the film might revolve around that to some extent because Jack-Jack is, um, if memory serves, very overpowered compared to the rest of the family. Um, and yeah, it's Brad Bird directing another Incredibles film. So that sounds great to me. I don't think Pixar's uh, sequels have been working out fantastically over the last few years. Um, in fact, I think that like the Cars... Monsters Inc. and Finding Nemo sequels have all been flat out bad. So, um, uh, I, but I I kind of trust Brad Bird um, more than than any other director that they've got working at Pixar. And we'll have to cover the Incredibles at some point on the podcast so we can trot out the the uh, now standard is the best Fantastic Four movie line. Um, and then finally, Spencer and Locke, which is a comic about a hardboiled uh, detective and his imaginary partner, has been optioned for a movie. I haven't read that comic, don't know anything about it, but it sounds like an interesting premise. Um, and we'll see whether that actually comes about, because it seems like a lot of these indie comics are optioned and some of them make their way to the screen. So we'll see what happens with Spencer and Locke. Uh, but that's it for this week's comic book movie and TV news. And we'll move on now to the comic book recommendations. Okay, and I think we'll start off with the 2000 AD recommendations from our Dread episode. So um, that was the episode with Seb and Caroline, so it was two recommendations from Seb. Um, and and kind, of, kind of three, but kind of two. So these are all from Progs, 2000 AD Progs. Um, the story arcs are The Day the Law Died, that was from John Howard and uh, primarily Mike McMahon on art, although there were some other artists uh, during that kind of longer arc. Um, and then the two stories, Judge Death and Judge Death Lives, uh, which were written by um, John Howard for the first arc, T.B. Grover for the second, um, and it was all drawn by uh, Brian Bolland. Um, or Bolland, I can't remember how to pronounce that. But what I do know is that his art is very, very good. Um, so I'll kind of talk about these generally and then and then get into the specifics of each story. Um, but... I would, I, I think the thing that I came away from this, and I'm going to sound like a comics philistine, I definitely struggle with black and white comics more than colour comics. And I know if someone said that about movies to me, like, oh, I can't watch black and white movies. I just, I'd like, I'd be like, well, what do you mean? That doesn't make any sense. And I, and I know that I must sound like a philistine. I just find them a little bit more difficult to read and that, like, especially in kind of particularly busy panels, I'm going, whoa, okay take a step back what's actually going on here where's the text where's the picture um so yeah that's that's on me that's bad i struggle with them a little bit more but having said that i i found the contrast between the brian bolland drawn stuff in 2000 ad and all of the other stuff like striking uh bolland stuff was uh so much easier to read so much so much more rewarding to read that the images are absolutely gorgeous and kind of like the way that he introduces judge death for example or does other stuff with the he just he's just like there are there are panels that you go okay yeah you could you could take that out and make a print of that and hang it on your wall that's that's excellent that looks great um and 
the Mighty Maman, it just it just felt a little bit less. It it it, it tended to feel more busy. It tended to feel um, the 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 panels were just a little bit of a a little bit of a blur when you look at them, and then you have to dive in. Whereas with Bolland, it's like, oh, that's the image, okay, and now and now I'll read and figure out what's going on. Um, so like I say, the black and white stuff is on me, but I think that when the art is great, it kind of transcends that and I, and it stopped being an issue for me. Um, but the day that the Lord died, which does have some Bolland in it, but not very much, um, is, this is the longer story arc that uh, Seb recommended to me, which involves the character of Judge Cal, who, um, like, uh, the, the names and stuff are very on the nose. Judge Cal is basically Judge Caligula. Um, and I think that it's like a... I read on the Wikipedia page it was like a parody of the John Hurt character from My Claudius, um, and which was obviously airing at the time. And it's that's on the nose. Like Judge Cal ends up coming to power when he murders the former head judge who was called Judge Goodman, uh, who I guess was a good man, and Judge Cal is a, a bad man. Um, I don't know whether that is his surname canonically, but I wouldn't put it past the comic. And there's there's lots of stuff like that. There is lots of like very on the nose, like uh, there's this there's, there's sometimes like characters even will be like almost double taking into the camera, which or in it looking at the into the camera, looking kind of breaking the fourth fourth wall almost. Um, and like Cal drops a couple of of gags at some point. Um, I can see why Seb recommended this set by saying that it was it felt in some way that there were parallels to the real world and to Trump. Certainly the way that Cal is drawn, sometimes it does just look like Trump, this kind of like long, like bouffanted haired, jowly faced moron. Um, I'm getting political. Um, <laughs> just like that's it, visually the Trump thing is hard to get past at points during this arc. Um, there's there's not quite the, the, the like the real world nuance of uh, not uh, however much nuance you can attribute to to Trump, but there is it's certainly with Cal. It's just the case of like this guy is just nuts. Like it's not even that he's he's evil. He's just off his rocker. Um, and and so there's it's just this this kind of despotic guy who decides uh, to begin with that he's just going to start making up laws and that they're going to be so like nondescript that people are going to fear stepping out of line at any point um, and kind of all of these laws are punishable by death and then at some at one point he decides that he's just going to line everyone up in the city and kill them until his deputy Judge Fish who is literally a goldfish dies and he decides that that's a bad omen and not to do that anymore um until later in the in the arc when he decides no i'm just going to gas the entire city and kill everyone um and dread kind of has to lead some kind of resistance there are there are a number of kind of like resistance attempts throughout this long arc um and it's only the one at the end that is successful and it's kind of this low-life criminal um who like a simpleton who ends up physically taking cal down um but there's there's other parallels to the real world. Um, Cal wants to build a wall around Mega City One, except that's to keep the citizens in, uh, rather than they they try and flee to the cursed lands, um, which uh, doesn't sound like a great idea. But I think the idea is that that's how bad that things are in the city. Uh, so Cal kind of like gets slave labor to build this wall around the city, 
Um, it's very on the nose. I didn't in- enjoy this story particularly. Um, I think that I can see why the 2000 AD comics in general appeal. Um, it's it's almost like there is a there is a high concept and there's a plot at the end at the start of every story idea, and I, I felt like there was almost like the same level of plot set up at the start of the two or three issue arc that if the two or three issue judge death arcs than there were in the judge cal one it's like crazy guy running the city and eventually dread will stop them and judge death oh d- dead judge ghost kind of character attacking the city eventually dread will stop him and it's just a case of like figuring out like how dread will overcome them and in between there's going to be some cool art and there's going to be some um funny little lines it's it's kind of it's it's kind of knowing. I kind of understand what Seb was saying about like downplaying the satire of 2000 AD because this doesn't always feel like satire, but it feels like there's a lot of dark humor in there. Rather than there might be a little bit of of commentary, but it doesn't really feel like it's satirizing anything more than just being a kind of like a comic with dark content that also has humor in there as well. Um, I'm sure there is other parts of of 2000 AD that is more nakedly satirical, um, but I didn't feel like I got a lot of that in these comics. Um, I did enjoy the Judge Death and the Judge Death Lives uh, comics uh, or story arcs more, though. Um, So Judge Death introduces Judge Death um, and also Judge Anderson uh, from the side of it. So the character who ended up appearing in the Dread movie. Um, And so it's just kind of this, this character just turns up from an alternate dimension. He's Judge Death and in his dimension... Um, they decided that all living people are the only people who commit crimes. Dead people don't, so everyone needs to die, and then they'll stop committing crimes. So Judge Death kills everyone and then comes to um, Dread's dimension and decides that he's going to do the same there, and just anyone who's living can be killed. Um, And so that's what he does. He kind of goes around the city, he kills people, Dread tracks him down. Uh, Judge Death um, eventually uh, takes over judge anderson's mind because of her psychic link he's able to kind of possess her body um but then they freeze her in some kind of like uh... if you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery think again juvederm volux xc is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime even better this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment no maintenance required improve jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with juvederm volux xc for important safety information and to find a licensed specialist visit juvederm.com that's j-u-v-e-d-e-r-m.com not for people with severe allergic reactions allergies to lidocaine or the proteins used in juvederm common side effects include injection site redness swelling pain tenderness firmness lumps bumps bruising discoloration or itching there's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel which can cause vision abnormalities blindness stroke temporary scabs or scarring talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you when you're ready to pop the question the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring at BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. 
That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Um, plastic uh, thing. It's, it's almost like the Han Solo carbonite thing almost. And she kind of gets trapped in there with death and she's sacrificed herself. Um but then in the in the sequel story, Judge Death Lives, someone lets Anderson out or lets Judge Death out, um, who then has um, three other judges, uh, dark judges alongside him. One's fire. I can't remember what they all are, but they're all kind of gen- generally bad dudes. And they've got the same MO as Judge Death. It's basically, there's three more of them and they look cool. Like look at the look at the cool designs, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, they do look cool. So they go around killing some people. Um, eventually, this time the judges, the the good judges, manage to get some kind of an upper hand, and so the dark judges retreat to their own dimension. And Anderson and Dread then dimension hop over there to take on the judges because the dark judges, because they know they'll return. Um, and uh, Anderson ends up taking them down um, through. Uh, kind of using the spirits of all of the souls of the people in in that dimension who were killed by the dark judges to attack them um and yeah so like i it it was kind of fun like it zipped it zipped along all of because it's eight pages and because it's 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 not really the most overwhelming in terms of a read you can you can kind of zip through this at a good old pace and feel like you've had um a nice little jaunt through the world of uh, mega city one um, I don't think it's for me. I don't think it's the kind of comics that I would be rushing out to pick up. I can't imagine myself ever really being a 2000 AD reader, um, but I'm definitely glad they exist. And, and certainly in terms of like, even now, the the talent that is nurtured by 2000 AD that go, that go off and become big deals in the world of comics, um, it's clearly a vital institution, and I and I'm sure maybe if I'd grown up reading them, that I I might have had a bit more affection for them. But I just 2000 AD never seemed like the thing for me. I would uh, I was always uh, as a kid picking up the Beano and then fell off comics until uh, until I grew up, um, if if indeed I did. So um, yeah, so that was that was the 2000 AD comics, which I would say you know like if if you're into this kind of thing, I think particularly the Judge Death and Judge Death lives. Um, arcs are really cool and I can't uh, can't praise the Bolland art enough um, but comics that are much more nakedly made for me are Spider-Man comics so we'll move on to the Spider-Man recommendations now um, and I'll, I'll go with James's recommendation first which is the Amazing Spider-Man Civil War so this was the arc that ran through the Amazing Spider-Man comic I think between issues 532 and 538 um during mark miller's civil war big crossover event um and uh there's there's like two or three build up lead up issues to that arc where um peter gets the iron spider costume from tony stark and starts working with him a little bit more closely and tony stark kind of sees that this big flashpoint in the superhero world is is 
approaching and is kind of positioning himself to uh, to tackle it when it does. And, and um, I'd read all of that stuff before um, when I started reading Civil War, but dropped off it. Um, and so what I did, I read the Civil War uh, main series and kind of hopped between that and these amazing Spider-Man tie-ins. And like there's the stuff in the main series that you feel like, uh, oh, like it probably would be good if I was reading the Fantastic Four alongside this, or it would be good if I'd been able to pop into that issue of that thing or whatever. But for the most part, I think probably this seems like it would be the best series to be reading alongside Civil War, especially in the first three or four issues of that series. Um, and so if you don't know the Civil War story, but, but I guess most of you will, it's that um, Iron Man and Captain America kind of come to blows. There is a, a terrible uh, tragedy in which uh, a lot of civilians die in a school in Stamford uh, after uh, there's an explosion that involved the new warriors. Um, and so the su superhero community fractures because the American government wants them all to register, wants them to reveal their identities or at least register their identities with the government um, and uh, and then kind of be like state-sanctioned superheroes. And Captain America and a lot of people who stand alongside him say, no, that's not right, and Iron Man leads the pro-registration movement. And Peter Parker um, is kind of established as... Um, I'd say kind of like the moral centre of this debate. So he's he's allied to Iron Man because he has been... Iron Man has kind of buttoned him up in advance. And so he does this big public revelation where he doesn't have to reveal his identity to the world uh, as he does kind of on camera. But he does it as kind of a, a show of faith and a stand with Tony Stark. And it's it's been very cleverly manipulated by Stark to get to, get to that point. Like he knows the importance of having... Peter Parker particularly um, revealing his identity on television um, and it's it's then interesting having that context in the Spider-Man comics of um, of a Peter Parker who is kind of battling with is he doing the right thing um, it, is, is he putting his, his family at danger, he has the support of MJ and um, and Aunt May to do what he does, but he he's still kind of agonising about it. And and the joy of this series, mostly, I would say, is reading that character and seeing him kind of trying to figure out whether what he's doing is the right thing, and eventually kind of switching sides and realising that, that what he stands for is more closely aligned to what Captain America stands for, and that that is the side that he has to ultimately fight on. Um... I would say there are definitely there are definitely some drawbacks in this being uh, like the the crossover with Civil War. I, I think it's what puts me off big crossovers in the Marvel in the Marvel DC universe or whatever. You've got this big series in the middle of Civil War and all of the other comics are tying in, except date wise and like whether the comics actually come out at the right time or whatever. They, the crossovers might not necessarily work, so you've got kind of like you're reading one comic and that ends in one place and then the other one overlaps with it and and goes a little bit further and then there's something referred to that you haven't read happen in the main series yet or you haven't read happen in the in the tie-in series yet um and then there's just and then I, I think it'll just be like writers not like mark miller probably can't communicate with every single writer writing every single tie-in and saying oh what have you done for that bit there oh just establish this 
But there's one bit where Peter goes to visit the prison where the superheroes who uh, refuse to register are being held by Iron Man and Reed Richards. Um, and it's in the negative zone. And Spider-Man says, so where are you going to move them after this? And Iron Man says, well, no, this is it. This is like, there's nowhere we can hold superheroes. This is where they're going to be. Like, we're treating them well. But yeah, they're, they're in a prison on the negative zone. And Peter's like, what, forever? And it's like, yeah, Peter, that's that's the deal. And then in the next issue, um, if you when you then go over to read Civil War, there's one point where Peter and Iron Man are having it out kind of a day or two later. And Peter says, like, you've got these people locked up in prison. And Iron Man goes, it's a temporary measure, Peter. And you're like, okay, well, that's not what you said in the last comic. Which is it? It just is just almost like, oh, Iron Man needs to have to be a little bit right in this one. So we'll do this. And maybe we didn't. Maybe J. Michael Straczynski, who wrote the Amazing Spider-Man series, didn't really talk to Mark Miller enough about the nuance there. And it kind of takes away from things a little bit. Um, the reason James recommended the series, though, I think was the that, that it was the comic that that had the most of kind of a Peter Parker, uh, Tony Stark relationship. And certainly early on, and I think in those three lead-up issues, so if you want to get more of a sense of that relationship, I'd suggest starting in the the kind of the road to Civil War issues with uh, Peter Parker and Tony Stark, where he gets gifted the Iron Spider suit and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, I think early on, there are parallels that you can draw with Homecoming, the kind of the, the mentor, mentee, the kind of the the big international superhero and the more street-level hero um, interacting. Um, but this is Mark Miller writing Iron Man, and Mark Miller writing Iron Man is a lot more cynical and jaded than... like I, I would almost say the Civil War Iron Man feels like more of a, like, m- more of a, like satirical take on that kind of character more of a bastard than even the one who shows up in um in the ultimates because the ultimates tony stark is just a drunk whereas this guy kind of that you definitely do see that he is doing what he's doing for a reason um but whereas i mean we joke on the podcast about captain america and iron man in in captain america civil war and who's in the right but i think one of the things that that movie did really well is that you can come out of that movie and you understand both points of view and you understand that they're both doing things that are right and both doing things that are wrong um and but that ultimately you 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 pick your side you pick the one that you think was more right than the other one um the comic i think firmly comes down on the side that iron man is in the wrong uh, even though he's doing it for the right reasons and um that Iron Man, particularly with his relationship with Peter, a lot of the times it feels exploitative, um, and like the Iron Man is is using Peter to an extent, um, and yeah, so I I don't think the movie, I don't think the movie could do that with Homecoming, like because Peter is so young. I think if there was a more exploitative relationship from Stark, it would it would completely sour you on that character, um, and I I really I I. I know there is an article out on Vulture, uh, the ironically titled Vulture, saying that Iron Man's the real villain of Spider-Man: Homecoming. But I think the I think the mentorship is sweet. I think the the Iron Tony Stark wanting Peter Parker to be a better man in Homecoming is genuine, and I think it rings true. Um, that's not the relationship that you see on play in Civil War, um, but certainly you know if you want to read one of the biggest 
stories and comics of the past 15, 20 years. Um, you know, Civil War and this tie-in alongside it. It's it's a fascinating read. Um, and uh, I, I think I actually preferred the, the straight-up Spider-Man stuff. Um, and I, if I didn't mention that series, is written by J. Michael Straczynski, um, uh, drawn by Ron Garney. Um, and yeah, uh, I, I really enjoyed it. And I, I like Peter Parker as a character. Um, but he's not my favourite Spider-Man. And that's a tease because we're moving on to the final recommendation, which was Sam's recommendation from uh, last week's podcast, which was Ultimate Comics Spider-Man Volume 1. Uh, written by Brian Michael Bendis, drawn by Sarah Pacelli. Um, it was Volume 1 and Volume 2, in fact. And um, although the majority is drawn by Sarah Pacelli, there is some art in there from David Marquez and Chris Samney as well. I think maybe three or four filling issues over the course of the 12. Um, and yeah, I mean, I know a lot A lot of people have been talking about uh, Spider-Man Homecoming and that's finally the first time that they've seen their Spider-Man up on screen. Or maybe that's not my Spider-Man, but it's the closest we've come to it. Um, I think that from when I've been reading comics, the Spider-Man that I uh, I enjoy reading the most, I wouldn't say I say identify the most with, but the one that I certainly, I think... Um, I sympathise the most with is Mars Morales. I, I, I find a, I, I find just a constant joy reading that character, and it feels fresh and exciting and new and filled with possibilities, um, for maybe like that classic take on Spider-Man, but in the modern day. And I, I know that that is Ultimate Comics Peter Parker as well, or the Ultimate Spider-Man, the Peter Parker Ultimate Spider-Man, but it reading the first couple of arcs of that didn't stay with me the same way that reading the first couple of arcs of the Mars Morales stuff did. Um, I've, I've been reading the Mars Morales stuff since Secret Wars in the main universe. I obviously read the Spider-Men crossover from a previous recommendation and I just really, really like this character. I think when, Michael, when Brian Michael Bendis is firing, he can be one of my favourite comics writers and... Um, this is this is really really great and he's he's lucky that he has Sarah Pacelli next to him who her art on for Miles Morales is fantastic the the Miles Morales costume is so cool the the way that they realize his powers is fantastic but just the way that Sarah Pacelli draws Miles Morales as just a human kid and the the emotion that she's able to get across from that character so frequently throughout throughout this comic is is incredible and lucky you know like the stand the the filling issues here are from David Marquez and Chris Samney who are really great as well so when Pacelli's not there it doesn't feel like you're really suffering but when she turns back up you're like ah oh, right okay yeah this is this is fantastic um and so yeah so to to actually talk more about the character and more about the the story here. Um, rather than just me saying why I love Miles Morales. To get into some specifics, this story is kind of... Um, Peter Parker has just died in the Ultimate Universe, and Miles Morales has, uh, is sh um, shortly thereafter bitten by a spider. Um, and it, it, sh it should seem really silly, but it kind, of, it kind of feels believable enough in the world, in this world, that uh, Norman Osborn had been developing 
uh, he knew that the spider that bit Peter Parker had turned him into Spider-Man, so he was trying to recreate the formula and was was uh, breeding lots of more genetically altered spiders. Um, Miles Morales' uncle, Aaron Davis, is a supervillain called the Prowler. He steals something from Norman Osborn's lab and the spider climbs up onto his suit as he's escaping. And then when Miles is visiting his flat, his apartment, the spider bites Miles and Miles gets superpowers. Um, they are Spider-Man-esque powers, so he has the spidey sense, he has the athleticism, he has all that kind of stuff. Um, he can't produce webs, though. Um, he has this little thing called, like, a, a venom blast, which, like, he he can, like, touch someone and, like, uh, like almost buzz and incapacitate them. Um, he can turn uh, invisible briefly, uh, so he's got kind of, like, camouflage powers. So they are, like, spider-esque powers, but different spider powers to what Spider-Man had. Um and so it's kind of like him embracing this responsibility, but in a different way. Like, he he kind of doesn't want to be Spider-Man to begin with. He's overwhelmed by the idea of it. The, the last Spider-Man had just died, and he never considered being a superhero. But he's got his best friend Ganky there, who he tells immediately. Um, and Ganky kind of, like, encourages him. And Ganky is, like, Ned Leeds in the Spider-Man Homecoming movie is Ganky. Um, it just is. It's that that is that character exactly, and um, only I like him a lot more <laughs> in the comics. Um, but yeah, so he kind of encourages Miles, and Miles eventually embraces it. And the world kind of reacts badly to begin with because they see a kid dressing up in a Spider-Man costume shortly after Peter Parker has been killed, and they think that it's in bad taste. Um, but eventually he kind of draws the attention of the Ultimates, so Nick Fury and Iron Man and uh, Spider-Woman is the one who, Ultimate Spider-Woman is the one who bring him in, and they kind of, he proves himself in front of them, and they give him his new suit and say, yeah, okay, look, you've got our blessing, go out there and be and be the new Spider-Man. Um, and that's, the first arc is all kind of, there's lots of play setting, there's lots of character stuff, and like I said, the, the Miles Morales character just rings true like his where he is emotionally seems to track so perfectly as you as you go through this arc and it's it's so easy to huck into this character um and root for him um but he has to learn the power responsibility dynamic as well um and he also has to learn it through his uncle but in a very different way and i love how the second art does this so Prowler is his uncle, but his his dad and his his dad's brother, his uncle, used to both be petty thieves. His dad turned his life around, married his mum, had Miles, um, and uh, became a police officer. Um, and is kind of like on the straight and narrow, whereas his uncle went down, further down the thief pass, uh, uh, path and became a full-on supervillain. Um, and he, when his uncle Aaron figures out that he was um that his nephew is Spider-Man he tries to use him as almost his enforcer and kind of like he does it under the guise of hey Miles there's this bad guy in town who I happen to be kind of warring with um will you come and help me defeat him like it's going to be for the good of the city uh but it's increasingly leaning on him and Miles kind of has to make a choice he has to he has to figure out what kind of hero he is and where the lines are and so for him it's his uncle trying to push him down the wrong path that teaches him the the kind of the power responsibility dynamic 
Um, and it's a, it's a very nice twist. It's also like you see the agonising from Miles in a way that's reminiscent of the Peter Parker agonising early on. Um, especially after his, you know, his Uncle Ben is murdered. And during the fight with Miles, um, his Uncle Aaron is killed. It's his Uncle Aaron's fault because he's using some technology that's faulty and he is actively trying to kill Miles. But his uncle dies during the battle and that's kind of the end of the second volume. Um, I think I'm just going to read on and catch up and then like read through all of the Miles Morales stuff from back in the Ultimate Universe and because I've been reading a lot of the stuff since and... Um, I'm surprised it's taken me this long to get around to doing it because I I really love this character. I would say kind of like current modern day Marvel, the the, the characters that I'm most likely to want to read outside of some of the like the humor comics, the the Squirrel Girls and Howard the Ducks and stuff like that, are Miss Marvel and um, Miles Morales Spider Man, who just feel like um, these fresh, exciting characters with believable real emotional lives have the have the problems that normal teenage kids would have but also have these superhero dilemmas as well um and they at the moment are much more interesting to me than the likes of um thor and captain america and iron man and the kind of the characters that i really do glom onto when i'm watching the movies um so yeah um i i love miles morales and everyone should read his comics because he's great and uh, boy, it got me excited about the idea of this animated Spider-Man film that's coming out next year. That's uh, that's going to be great. And yeah, fingers crossed that the MCU has plans for Miles Morales in the future. Um, and I, I mean, you wouldn't want to kill off Peter Parker. <laughs> um, you wouldn't want to kill off Tom Holland's Peter Parker, I wouldn't think. It seems very dark for the MCU. Um, like, if you're going to kill off some characters, maybe make it the older ones. Um, but... Yeah, I, I, I love the idea of Miles Morales. Um, I can't see Donald Glover playing the kind of real evil bastard version of the Prowler that you see in uh, in this comics, but uh, in this comic, but maybe he could play a more traditional Uncle Ben role um, for Miles Morales if and when they get around to introducing him. Uh, but yeah, so I would say like in terms of the comics recommendations from this week, basically the the Miles Morales comics are things that you know it's, it's a home run you you recommend a miles morales comic to me i'm probably gonna love it the the post secret Wars stuff there's so little plot in there it feels like the comic is going absolutely nowhere or it did for um for for, for a long while and um was getting waylaid waylaid by crossovers here and there it like it was it was really grim during the civil war 2 stuff where miles was playing an important part but i really didn't care about civil war 2 um but I still kind of like reading them. They're just a, they're just a joy. And whenever Sarah Pacelli's drawing the character, then I'm in basically. Um, so yeah, that's in sharp contrast to the kind of the the 2000 AD stuff, which uh, probably isn't really for me. But again, it was the it was the art there that that did kind of kind of hook me in more. So hey, maybe I'm finally coming round and I'm able to to talk about appreciating the art the artwork of comics more than. Uh, more than the plotting and the stories, uh, which is a rarity for me. Um, but those were the recommendations from this week, and that's it for this week's show. Um, so don't forget that the next episode of the show will be a San Diego Comic-Con bonus episode. Um, I believe just me and James uh, talking through uh, that stuff, but 
There's loads to talk about. We'll talk about stuff like the Ben Affleck Batman stuff um, and the Doctor Doom movie in more detail. Um, and uh, hopefully some of the more exciting stuff that comes out throughout the course of the weekend. But we'll definitely dive into uh, dive into all of that stuff um, a lot more than I'm able to do on the... Uh, well, even on a Megasode, uh, we'll be able to dive into that a lot deeper. Um, and then after that, our next main episode is The Amazing Spider-Man 2. Um, now, if you're a Patreon subscriber, James has uploaded a special commentary track for that movie where, as he promised on the podcast, he rings a bell every time something terrible happens in that film, um, which uh, I believe Seb has watched the movie with that commentary on. I think I'm going to decide what's terrible for myself, but um, if memory serves, a lot of it, a lot of it is terrible. So if you're a Patreon subscriber, you can download that and listen to that as you watch the movie. Um, sounds like a lot of fun. So uh, San Diego Comic-Con special and then The Amazing Spider-Man 2. Uh, but if you're enjoying the show, then please do subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Player FM or your podcast app of choice. Um, and you can find us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash cinematic universe um, if you want to support us. And then obviously you'll get access to that uh, James commentary. Uh, you can find more episodes of the show and a bunch of other stuff at cinematicmultiverse.com. I'm currently working on a series of features about the MCU timeline and trying to make sense of it based on the information that they give us in the movies. Um, that has proved to be a headache. Um, you can get in touch via Facebook, on Twitter at cine underscore verse, and you can send us an email to editorial at cinematicuniverse.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in just a couple of days. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.